As we all know by now, the SEC issued their highly anticipated climate-related rule proposals, and these proposals are extensive, over 500 pages in length in the adopting release. They're highly complex, and they're already generating significant debate. And at a high level, the rules would require, you know, they would expand the, both the breadth and the specificity of climate-related disclosures for both U.S. public companies as well as for foreign private issuers. And in many instances, the rules call for information regardless of its materiality, which is a significant departure from the SEC's traditional materiality-based framework of disclosure. And this really represents a move towards a more prescriptive climate-related disclosure regime. And to give you just a broad sense of the rules, I'm going to cover the areas that we kind of think about them under and just walk through at a high level. And the first is greenhouse gas emissions. Companies would be required to disclose both scope one and scope two emissions, regardless of materiality, and scope three emissions to the extent material or to the extent it's referenced in a target or metric used by the company. The rules here are quite detailed, and Sarah's going to walk us through them. The important thing to, to be mindful of here is that these scope one and scope two disclosures would be subject to attestation by a third party. Starting first with greenhouse gas emissions disclosure, as Kathy mentioned in her introduction, the proposed rules will mandate disclosure of scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions, even if the emissions are not material to the company. They will also require disclosures on a gas by gas basis, again, even if the particular gas emission is not material to the company. And perhaps more significantly, the rules will require that accelerated filers and large accelerated filers have their scope one and two emissions data covered by an attestation report. And a few observations here. So some companies already report emissions data to the EPA. So not all of this will be entirely new, but the existing disclosures are done on a facility basis as opposed to an organization-wide basis. In addition, the proposed rules would apply to all types of companies, regardless of industry or emissions level. The attestation report that's provided for in the proposed rules must be conducted by an independent party, similar to the independence requirements that apply to audits of financial statements. With the overarching principle that the attesting party cannot be in the position of effectively auditing its own work. And therefore, as companies think about the effects of the proposed rules and next steps, they may want to begin thinking about who would provide such an attestation report as compared to who they may want to work with in terms of external third-party consultants who may help with collecting data, analyzing data, and preparing disclosures. The proposed rules also require detailed disclosure about the qualifications of the attesting party and so one can imagine that there's going to be extended focus by investors and companies on the particular qualifications and credentials of different third-party providers. That's scope one and two. Perhaps the more burdensome aspect of the proposed rules are the rules relating to scope three emissions disclosures. There's a lot of commentary out there already about the proposed rules. Some argue that their proposed rules don't go far enough and that the SEC should mandate scope three disclosures for all companies. And others emphasize the significant burden that may be placed on issuers as a result of the proposed rules. 
Scope three emissions are basically any indirect emissions other than those provided for by scope one and two. And the concept is incredibly broad. It applies to the entire value chain of a company. So from suppliers at the top to consumers and customers at the bottom. They can include things like emissions from the use of a company's products by customers, as well as end of life treatment of products once a consumer is done with it. Another example of scope three emissions could be what are referred to as financed emissions. These are particularly relevant for financial institutions and investors. And as the SEC noted in the proposing release, scope three emissions disclosures for financial institutions would likely include the emissions from companies that the institution is providing debt financing to. So again, an incredibly broad concept. And on its face, the proposed rules do not mandate scope three emissions disclosures for all companies. Instead, a company will be required to disclose scope three emissions if either they are material to the company or if a company includes scope three emissions in its emissions targets and goals. So first talking about the materiality standard, we can expect that a company will actually have to do a fair amount of work to determine whether its scope three emissions disclosures are material. And so even if a company ends up not having to disclose them from reliance on a lack of materiality, they likely will have to spend a fair amount of time looking at the entire value chain, figuring out where scope three emissions could be and thinking about ways to estimate those disclosures. Even if a company scope three emissions are not material, if they include scope three in their targets or goals, then they also will have to disclose those emissions data. And what's interesting is that the rules actually don't require or specify that a company have publicly disclosed its targets or goals for this rule to take effect. So if a company has internal targets or goals that include scope three, then potentially they would have to make scope three emissions data public. And in some ways, interestingly, the rules may actually disincentivize companies from incorporating scope three emissions into their targets and goals. Now, the SEC has recognized some of the challenges associated with scope three emissions and the incredibly broad nature of that kind of concept and has made some limited accommodations in the proposed rules. For example, a company may, if it's not able to estimate a particular number for scope three emissions, it may provide a reasonable range of scope three emissions. Companies will though have to disclose what gaps they have in their ability to calculate scope three emissions and also disclose the basis for its estimates and any assumptions that underlie those estimates. The SEC has also provided a safe harbor from liability for scope three emissions data. In particular, those disclosures will not be deemed to be fraudulent statements unless it is shown that the disclosure was made without reasonable basis or made other than in good faith. And certainly a safe harbor from liability will be helpful for companies. I think in our experience, companies rarely rely on safe harbors from liability when thinking about their disclosures and thinking about the controls and procedures around their disclosures. So in practice, expect that the safe harbor will likely have little effect in terms of reducing the burden on companies of the overall disclosure regime. 
And so in sum, as, as companies think about the proposed rules and the effects on the proposed rules, and we'll, we'll get into the transition periods uh, in a few minutes, uh, companies should start thinking about, in particular, scope three emissions, what areas in their value chain to the extent they haven't already, those emissions could be, and how they might go about estimating those emissions. With that, I'll turn it over to Kathy, who's going to discuss some of the risk and transition plan-related disclosures. Excellent. Thanks, Sarah. So turning to the disclosure requirements for the climate-related risks and their impact. So here, companies would need to disclose the actual and potential climate-related risks that would have a material impact on their business over the long, short, and medium term. And interestingly here, the SEC doesn't define what these terms are, you know, really in a nod to companies to give them flexibility to figure out what the right time horizon is for them. And so companies would need to determine what those are and disclose it. But in terms of what the narrative disclosures would require, it's very prescriptive. It would pick up, you know, material physical and transition risks, as well as the nature of the risks that are presented. So in terms of material risks, you know, here think about, you know, companies would need to classify them as acute or chronic. And in terms of acute, you know, think extreme weather events. And in terms of chronic, think about, you know, the decreased availability of water. And in terms of the material transition risks, you know, here companies would be required to disclose how they're impacted by regulatory, technological, and market changes as it relates to climate change. So think about, you know, what are the changing preferences of consumers, business counterparties, and investors, and what impact does that have in terms of risk mitigation as well as how a company is adapting to climate change. And finally, a company would be required to disclose the actual and potential impacts of the the identified climate-related risks on their business strategy and outlook and how such impacts are considered as part of their strategy, their financial planning, and their capital allocation. This is one area where the SEC goes significantly beyond what companies are currently doing under the TCFD framework. They don't really touch upon the impacts and go into the level of granularity that the SEC is asking for. Unless we have a boilerplate disclosures in the adopting release, the SEC actually specifies different types of impacts companies should consider, such as the impact on the type and location of a company's properties and operations, the impact on their suppliers, as well as impacts associated with their mitigation efforts. And although the rules themselves relating to the risks are qualified by materiality, so material physical risks, material transition risks, when we're talking about the impacts of those risks, they're not similarly qualified by materiality. So that's another important distinction. So there's a couple of important takeaways here. First is, although the rules don't require the use of any particular analytical tool to assess different climate-related risks, the extent a company uses certain analytical tools would be required to describe it. So for example, scenario analysis or the use of internal carbon pricing. So for scenario analysis, if a company uses it, and many companies do, they'd be required to disclose the scenarios considered, the parameters, assumptions, and analytical choices that they've used What are the projected financial impacts of each of the scenarios that they're considering? And again, there's no limitation here on materiality. And this is going to be important for many, many companies. For instance, U.S. financial institutions, financial regulators in the U.S. are very focused on scenario planning and scenario analysis. And so to the extent this became a requirement, 
that requirement would then find itself into SEC disclosures under the proposed rules. And I think just at a high level, you know, for companies that need to assess their climate-related risk, this is a very different analysis and exercise than what you know, companies did for their SEC reports today. And it could require companies to expend you know, significant resources in assessing their climate risks. So for example, they could be hiring consultants to conduct physical climate risk assessments of particular assets to assess vulnerabilities in their supply chain, as well as you know, other vulnerabilities and other matters. Next, I wanna to turn to climate-related transition plans, targets, and goals. And Sarah touched upon this a bit with respect to scope three emissions. But again, in the category of if you say something, you kind of now are stuck with disclosing it. So while there's no mandate to use scenario analysis, or there's no mandate to have a transition plan, to the extent a company has adopted one, or they use various metrics or targets to measure progress against that, a company would be required to include both qualitative and quantitative information about that. So for example, using different you know, metrics, a company would be required to disclose the scope of activities and emissions covered by the target. What's the unit of measurement that they're using? Is it an absolute intensity versus a carbon intensity? What's the time horizon for achieving the target? Are there interim targets? And it goes on and on and on. And so for many companies, they have uh, you know, already published net zero pledges that's become increasingly common uh, both in the US as well as abroad. And there's many other targets companies are setting, you know, some voluntarily in, in response to different initiatives on various climate-related matters. And so not only would the company need to disclose the transition plan, but then they're going to need to disclose in every subsequent year the progress they've made against achieving their plan and steps they've taken to you know, reach their targets or goals. So again, a couple of important takeaways here. There's no materiality threshold or qualification with respect to the targets or goals or the transition plan. And while some companies have adopted transition plans, others haven't, and so they'll need to think about you know, whether or not disclosure may be required. And particularly for companies that are earlier in their stages of ESG reporting that haven't adopted it, you know, they're going to need to think about what they want to do there. And this is going to be a push and pull between you know, what are the disclosure requirements versus what do investors want to hear from companies in terms of you know, their climate-related objectives and plans. So, you know, I think that the takeaway here is that before disclosing anything, think about that in the context of these proposed rules and, and how that might be implicated. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com. Mm-hmm.